When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys. Uh, unit three review. Uh, this is for the uh, media, interest groups, elections, all that stuff we've done in unit three. It is going to be a longer multiple choice than I had anticipated just because I couldn't pare down the questions the way I wanted to. So there are 40 multiple choice questions, but I did try and make it to where there's not as many questions where you're going to have to read <clears throat> uh, and analyze. Uh, basically, the stimulus-based questions. Um, so hopefully a lot of them are going to be more of the simple recall, which isn't the best test question, but for our purposes, since we have an FRQ to go with this also, I didn't want you to get bogged down on the multiple choice. So uh, that's why it's going to be 40 questions, and that's why you're also going to have the FRQ still. I think you'll be able to get through the 40 questions pretty quickly and easily, uh, especially those low-level recall questions. Well, let's get going. If you want to have your uh, study guide out, I gave it to you in class. I'll also put a copy on E-Class. I don't think I've done it yet, but I will. Um, so the first little bit is voting rights. And we didn't cover this uh, as much in this as we should have. But uh, you've got the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Uh, remember, this is an act that was created during the Civil Rights era when the South was doing everything they could to suppress black voters. Okay, And so the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is going to have a very specific language in it that's going to try and stop the states uh, and localities from racially discriminating at both uh, the voter registration offices and also the polls. Okay, um, so that's the thing to remember about it. You've probably got the Voting Rights Act a couple of times. Um, so I kind of, I don't want to say I um, lessen its value, but I know you have had it before with U.S. history. I know we've talked about it with some other things. So uh, there you go, Voting Rights Act. Uh, next, you had some amendments. And for the test, you're going to have to be able to match up the amendments. So it's going to give you all the definitions. And then you just got to put them in correct order. So the 15th Amendment was uh, universal male suffrage, right? All males could vote. It was obviously geared toward African-Americans getting the right to vote because the South, this is a Civil War Amendment. The South was making it difficult for uh, you know, people, uh, African-Americans to vote. And so this has specific language that says all males can vote. 17th Amendment was direct election of senators. So we now directly elect our senators in years past before the 17th Amendment, around the turn of the century, 1900 or so, um, the state legislatures would pick our, our senators. So the people up in D.C. that represent us, David Perdue, Kayleigh Loeffler, or however you say her name, uh, they would have been picked by the people down in Atlanta. Now, we got to vote for them, but then they would turn around and pick our state senators. Now we get to directly elect them. 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote about 100 years ago now, 1919 or so. Uh, they got the right to vote. 24th Amendment said no poll taxes. So let's try and stop uh, some of the unfair practices that go along with the Voting Rights Act. Uh, got paired with the 24th Amendment. No more poll taxes. And then the 26th Amendment is going to say 18-year-olds uh, get the right to vote. So uh, it had been 21, and they're going to lower it to 18. All right. Uh, voter turnout is the next thing. And political efficacy is the first thing there. Uh, political efficacy is something we covered very briefly. It was mired in one of our little worksheets that we did. Um, it is a couple things. First off, there is a belief or a trust in our government. So if you have political efficacy, then you trust that our government um, is, is doing 
right by us. All right. Uh, it's also a belief that you understand the government. Hopefully you're getting an understanding, at least of how the government's supposed to work. Uh, maybe not necessarily the inner workings of it and all the stuff that goes on in the back back rooms and stuff like that. But as far as, hey, here's a bill it's going to be passed this way. You know, hopefully you're going to have an understanding of this by the time you leave the class. But understanding of it. And then lastly, your vote matters. OK, uh, when you go to the polls, uh, whether you're doing the primary election or whether you're doing <clears throat> the general election in November, when you go to the, the to vote, your vote is going to matter. All right. The response is the lack of voter turnout. That is a table. You're going to look at some reasons and make some decisions there. All right. The political parties, uh, the nomination process. Uh, we're living it right now. We're in the primary season. You know, Georgia's primary is coming up on March 24th. I think it is wherever that Tuesday is. Um, so that's coming up. Um, other states are doing it. All 50 states and some of our territories are, are doling out delegates via who we vote for. All righty. Uh, the end goal for these candidates that are running is to get to the national convention and then have the delegates of the national convention elect those people. So they're trying to accumulate <clears throat> as many delegates as possible. The goal is 1991. Whoever gets that will be the nominee. Right now, Joe Biden is winning. All righty. Uh, and then they go on to the, the general election. So that's the nomination process. Uh, not going into a great deal of detail uh, about it. We've already done that in class. Uh, the task of the political party, a couple things that you need to understand. Uh, first off, one of the things they do is pick candidates. All right. Now, they don't get to pick the presidential candidates. Now, they might prop up somebody. They might say, hey, you're, you've done a lot of stuff in, <clears throat> in Congress for the Democratic Party, you've done a lot of stuff in Congress for the Republican Party. You've been a good governor. You've been a good mayor. Let's let's let you get you to run for the, the president. So there are picks from the, the Democratic Party, from the Republican Party to run for president. But remember, they don't have a say so in whether they get the nomination. That's up to me and you when we go and we vote in the primaries. But they will pick people and they'll kind of put them out there for congressional seats. Uh, that's one of the things that political parties do is they watch the national scene, and they look, <clears throat> if you're Republicans, you're looking for weak Democrats. So who's struggling in their district? Where can we steal a seat? And then you put forth your, your people. Uh, you'll run strong candidates in places you think you can win. You'll run your weaker candidates in places you think you're going to lose. <clears throat> They're also going to fund candidates. Uh, we know about soft money and hard money and all those sorts of things. So the, the parties have plenty of money. They have tons of money. They get donations from all over the place. Uh, they will put that toward campaigns for people. Alrighty? And then the end goal of a political party is to win. They want to win uh, elections. They want to win seats. And they want to uh, you know, control the government that way. Remember, that's the big difference between what you call it, uh, political parties and interest groups, is that uh, interest groups aren't going to run candidates. Political parties will because they want to win elections and they want to um, uh, control the government that way. OK, uh, the Republicans versus the Democrats, that is a question where there's a table and you're going to have Democrat stuff on the one side and Republican stuff on the other. And you're going to figure out which is going to be the correct matchup where the Democrats and their beliefs match up with what the Republicans believe on the other side. So that's that's all that question is. And uh, I think you, you'll probably be able to figure out um I think it'll be pretty obvious looking at it. Uh, James Madison and Fed 10, that is going to be the, the belief that he had that the government, the republic would control factions, okay, would control these groups and all the groups we have nowadays. Uh, the voting types, 
You've got split ticket and party line listed there. Remember, split ticket just means you're going to go and you're willing to vote Republican here, Democrat there, whatever. People don't, uh, Parties don't like this because they can't predict uh, how you're going to vote. Party line voting, I'm going to go in there and I'm looking for Republican, I'm looking for Democrat, and I'm going to vote that straight down the line. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the worst candidate in the history of candidates. If you got an R by your name or you got a D by your name, that's what I vote. That's how I'm going to vote. All right, political parties, the change and adapt thing. Uh, the question is going to be about changes to the presidential campaigns. The main thing to know is because of the primaries, because of the caucuses, uh, the the party has really been taken out of the 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 process. All right, yes, they still run people and all that kind of stuff, but it's not as party centered as it used to be. The running for president is now much more of a candidate centered thing. Okay, uh, and you know Bernie Sanders, he's not a Democrat. He's running on that ticket, but he does not. He does not. He's not an official Democrat. Okay, uh, but he, you know, people know who he is because it's so candidate centered. Third parties. Uh, so first off, let's do how the system is stacked against third party candidates. First off, the winner take all thing. Okay, forty eight out of fifty states have winner take all. So if you get a, a simple majority, you're the candidate. Well, that's going to be very difficult for. Um, third parties to do because everybody's so uh, in line with I'm a guy to vote Republican or I got to vote Democrat. And that's what people do. So there you don't have really much of a chance to win. So what is the goal of a third party candidate? The main goal, the number one thing is let's get my agenda. Let's get my topics out there uh, and get the, the big national parties, the Republican or Democrats to pick up my platform basically. All right. So if I'm running on something that's not really focused on by the Republicans or the Democrats, <clears throat> and in class I've used the example of legalizing marijuana, uh, let's say that's my thing, and I'm running as a third party candidate for that, I'm not going to win. But if I can get enough support behind me to where the Republicans and the Democrats are almost forced to address my issue and maybe pick it up as a part of their platform, then I've had a successful campaign. And that's how third parties operate, and that's what they look for is those little successes where their agenda, their platform, their ideas, their concerns get picked up by the big national parties. Uh, they're also going to bring some new voters to the table. Uh, that's a big thing. Uh, they're going to, you know, bring people who sometimes, I don't want to vote for Republican. I don't want to vote Democrat. But you know what? I like that guy over there, Chris Daniels, running on his third party ticket. I might go vote for him. All righty. So they bring people into the, the electorate, basically. All right. Um, next up is interest groups. See, first off is amicus curiae. That's a Latin word or Latin term. Uh, it means friends of the court. And remember, this is going to be where they, and I say they, interest groups, and anybody can write them, interest groups, big businesses, uh, corporations, uh, me, you, schools, whoever, uh, we can write letters to the court. All right. And it's just going to explain, hey, this is our view on that topic that you're fixed to make a ruling on. This is why we think you should vote this way or rule this way. This is why we think you should vote that way. Here's some old cases that you've ruled on before. Maybe not you, but the Supreme Court has ruled on before or, or lower level courts have ruled on. And so we think we should, you should use this. All right. Uh, for example, right now, there's a Supreme Court case being argued. I don't know. It's probably getting ready to wrap up, uh, but on abortion, some of the abortion laws and things like that. Uh, so pro-choice groups have written letters. Pro-life groups have written letters to the Supreme Court uh, and just saying, we think you should go pro-choice. We think you should go pro-life. And this is why and explain why the Supreme Court does not have to take them into 
any kind of factor them in any way in their decision making. They don't have to use them, but it's they do still continuously get them. All right. Uh, next up is political parties versus interest groups. Remember, the big difference there is political parties are going to run candidates for office. Interest groups will never run candidates. They want to um, get or not get. Well, they want to influence congressmen and influence the policy that gets made there. So that's the big difference. Uh, lobbying is the next thing. Remember, that is a job that you will take. And you're going to try basically to convince congressmen uh, to do certain things with policy, whether it's uh, amending policy laws in Congress, whether it is um, killing a bill, getting a bill moved forward that might not otherwise. You're being paid by an interest group, by a business, whoever it might be, to go and work some magic on congressmen and get them to do certain things. Uh, congressmen don't have to listen to you. Congressmen don't want to listen to you, to be honest with you. They don't want to be seen as being in your back pocket, but it is a job that you can do. All right, interest groups and the influence. You got the iron triangles. Uh, it's going to be the same little diagram that was on your quiz, and I handed those back to you today. Um, and so you can take a look at that. I don't know if it's the same questions. I can't remember. Uh, but just remember the iron triangles, who it's made up of. All right, you got the committees. That's in Congress, so a very specific group in Congress. Uh, you've got the committees within Congress. You've got the interest group, and you've got the bureaucracy. And I'm not being specific here. I'm being very broad. All righty. Um, you know, the interest group, they're concerned about the policies that Congress makes. And they want to influence them there through uh, campaign funding and things like that. They're concerned with the bureaucracy because the bureaucracy is the ones that implement those laws. And so they're going to watch them to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to with them. Uh, the bureaucracy is concerned with Congress because of budgets. The bureaucracy is concerned with interest group because they're being watched. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they give support uh, in ways other. They can't donate money to a bureaucracy, but they can support them other ways. And then uh, Congress obviously funds the bureaucracy. They also have oversight over them. They'll watch over them and make sure they are, um, you know, imp they can call them in if they're not doing something they're supposed to for an oversight hearing. Um, and they... We'll, we'll sit, the congressman will sit down with interest groups and talk with them about uh, the issues that interest groups are concerned about, especially if they've donated money. Uh, all right, electing a president, the rules of the primaries. Remember, we said in class that these are made by the state legislatures and by the state parties. Okay, so the Republican primaries have a specific set of rules. The Democratic primaries have a specific set of rules. And it, it's come up with at the state level. So it's not a national thing. Each state can kind of do what they want to. It's not going to be um, up to the national party. It's going to be up to the state parties. This is why the Iowa Democratic Party is getting so much uh, grief because of the, the Iowa caucus and, and the reporting of the results. And it took forever and all those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, a closed primary. Remember, that's going to be where you have to be affiliated with the party officially to go vote versus an open primary where anybody can go vote. We're an open primary, all righty? Um, so when you registered to vote, you did not have to declare, oh, I'm Republican or I'm Democrat. You're just registered to vote. You can go vote whatever you want to. Remember the fear, and we're hearing some of this now uh, about the open primaries in, in different states, is that, uh, and it comes from the Democratic side, is that the Republicans are going to go vote for who they think is the worst candidate. Right now, you're hearing a lot of noise about how Republicans are going to go vote for Bernie Sanders because they think 
that too would be the easiest to defeat in the general election. So, uh, you know, whatever you believe, but that's why they have closed primaries in some places. Uh, the caucus, remember, this is a way to nominate um, or, or hold your elections, basically. Remember, this is the one that I hate. I would not do this, but you're going to go, you're going to meet up, and you're going to listen to candidates, uh, supporters talk to you about them, and try and convince you to vote for them. And then at the end of the day, you'd get a count. Okay, it's not like what we have here in Georgia, where you're going to go to the voting booth and pull some levers. Actually, you'll push some buttons on the computer screen, and you're done. You get out of there about five minutes. Uh, caucuses take a long time. And the first one is always in Iowa. All right. Uh, superdelegates, uh, remember, it's not really a thing that the College Board does, but it is on our SPG, so I do put it on here because I haven't paid enough attention to it over the over the last few cycles. Uh, so I want to be sure we know about them. Uh, Superdelegates is a it's a Democratic thing only, <clears throat> and they are not pledged to any one candidate. They can kind of do what they want to as far as voting goes. So they are allowed to do as they please. Uh, but only on the second. It has changed. Okay, was they got to vote the first one? Now they only vote if there's a second election. So if no one gets 1991 on that first vote, then superdelegates can come in and they can vote. And they, uh, I mean, there's a good chunk of them, so they could sway the the vote a little bit. But remember, they are unpledged and they are former politicians. They are members of the Democratic Party. They are current members of the Senate and House and all kinds of places. So they were created to bring a sense of legitimacy to the the party. All right. Uh, all right. Going to the next page. Congressional elections, the incumbent advantage, really simple. That is going to be the fact that they have name recognition, they can credit claim and all that kind of stuff. And they are going to win 90 percent of the time on the House side and 70 percent, 70 percent of the time on the Senate. Uh, the modern campaigns, it is going. There was a passage on your quiz uh, about social media. It's going to be that same uh, question. So. Uh, just understand that social media has obviously become a bigger part of campaigns than ever before. Uh, we know our current president uses Twitter. Almost every candidate out there has some form of social media, Twitter. They use Facebook. They're going to use Instagram and other places. Uh, so it's just become a big part of our uh, election cycle. All right. Uh, campaign finance. So the PACs, political action committees, remember, they came about when the individual individual contributions were limited. So I have more money than that. I want to donate more money. And so uh, I'll donate to this group who will then turn around and donate to the, the candidate for my choice. So PACs are just a way around some of the, the reforms that have been created over the years. And they are just uh, basically going to be uh, a money grab from individuals and interest groups to then turn around and donate to the the candidate. So I, that way I can, donate, I can donate my max as an individual to the candidate, and then I can give as much as I want to to the different packs that I find and want to give to, and then they can give the money <clears throat> to the uh, candidates. Hard money versus soft money. Uh, the soft money, remember the McCain-Feingold Act is going to try and ban that, uh, and that is all the money you want to give to the political parties. All right, And then hard money is the money that's going to the what you call it, the uh, candidates, that's the money that's regulated. You got to keep track of it. You can only donate so much. So that is the hard money. Now, Citizens United versus, versus FEC is going to be your uh, FRQ, but there is uh, three questions on the multiple choice test from it. Uh, there's a quote <clears throat> from the uh, opinions when the justices made the, the, the thing 
So just understand there is going to be a quest, some questions on the multiple choice part about it. That's why it's in there. Um, we're going to, I'm going to talk about Citizens United in just a second, though. Last bit is the media. All these questions are low-level vocab, recall. So really quickly, investigative journalism. This is where you're looking for, you're digging for dirt, uh, you're looking for uh, scandals, whatever you want to call it, and uh, you're going to run a story there. Narrow casting, that is where you have one particular thing that you run for one particular audience. Okay. Um, agenda setting, this is a tool or maybe not a tool, but something that the media can do. Basically, they get to decide what we think is important. If they weren't concentrating on coronavirus, then we might not think it's important. All right. But since the media is making a huge deal about it, we're hearing all these stories about it from all over the place now. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. But I'm just saying the media could you have chose to, well, let's just leave it and make it the localized things. <clears throat> Instead, it's a big national deal. The watchdog function. Uh, this is something that the media does uh, to keep the politicians in check. So they watch out for them. It kind of goes hand in hand with investigative journalism where they're looking for stories. Uh, the equal time, they have to give uh, advertisements to both parties. They can't sell to one and they say, I'm not going to sell to the other. <clears throat> and something I found out here in Georgia is they have to, if they're buying, they have to give them the lowest rate possible. They can't overcharge them for it because they know they, they know they want the time and they know they can set it a little bit artificially high for politicians. So they have to give them the lowest possible rate. I just know that out yesterday. Right of reply. If you get attacked on air, you get the right to come on and challenge it back. Okay. So there's the multiple choice part. Let's talk about Citizens United versus the FEC. We're doing a court case comparison. <clears throat> I Sorry, my, my throat's killing me right now. Um, <clears throat> So I gave you last year's AP test, FRQ, on court case comparison. It's the Brown versus Board case versus the Pete Hernandez case in Texas. Yours is going to be similar to this tomorrow where you're going to get some information about a, a, a court case that we're not required to know. We have talked about it in class. And then you got to compare it to the Citizens United. <clears throat> so that is uh, how it's going to be. So I am making it only worth 10 points because it's the first one we've done. And I'm worried about being pressed for time tomorrow. So uh, it is only 10 points. So it's not a big going to be a grade killer if you don't do super well on it. But I do want to go through the Citizens United case. So Citizens United is a interest group, basically, uh, for lack of a better word. And they had uh, got funding from all over the place, uh, but specifically some big businesses, corporations, whatever you want to call it, had funded them giving them money, and they created a film, Hillary the Movie. Some of my classes, we watched the, the trailer for the movie. It was not a good look for Hillary Clinton. Obviously, she had nothing to do with it. They never interviewed her. They just took clips and snippets uh, from stuff she had done and then interviews with people who were against her. All righty. Um, and they put that out there. Okay. So the FEC took a look at this, and they decided that they were going to bring an injunction against this movie. Uh, based on the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, otherwise known as the McCain-Feingold Act, and they put a stop to it. They said that that act prevents corporations and labor unions <clears throat> from funding communications like this. Okay, so there's the where the injunction comes from. Uh, because they weren't disclosing where the money was coming from, 
it was not authorized and therefore it had to be stopped. Okay, Citizens United is going to argue that this violates the First Amendment and that it's unconstitutional. Okay, the injunction that the FEC is putting on them and their movie and their funding. Uh, it's going to go to the lower courts. The lower courts are going to uh, basically agree with the FEC. All right. Uh, and kind of what it says that the, the whole funding is unconstitutional based on the the, the bipartisan campaign reform act um, and that the movie was basically advocacy. Okay. And, and advocacy through the big businesses, the money they were spending. Uh, so it's going to do that. The citizens United is going to appeal obviously because they get denied in the lower courts and it's going to eventually make it to the Supreme court. All right. The questions uh, is basically is the lower courts and the, the old court cases, the one you're going to look at, uh, did it actually apply here? All right. Um, was the disclosure requirement, so having to re- disclose who you get your money from, was that uh, unconstitutional? All righty. Uh, or is it protected as free speech? Okay. Uh, so those are the, the questions that they uh, are going to have to ask. And the Supreme Court, at the end of the day, is going to side with Citizens United and the big businesses and the places they get their money from. And they're going to say that uh, free speech, that the big businesses can give as much money as they want to and that they can um, donate and they don't have to disclose. That led to the super PACs. All right. So that is that. If you have questions, let me know. and. That'll be your test tomorrow.